Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Good morning, Crosswalk. Welcome to the second installment of our Superheroes series. We're talking about the breastplate of righteousness this morning and also talking about the superhero named Iron Man. I think you're going to enjoy it. Let's take out the crosswalk notes and open up to Titus chapter 3. What I want you to do is grab your pen right away and I'm going to have you write something on the notes at the very top above in that little blank space that says crosswalk notes. I want you to write two plus three. Now, I know one or two of you are already thinking, Tony Stark, I get it, he's a physicist, so we're starting to do some physics and some physics math here, two plus three, but no, that's not it. Two plus three is how I want to break down today's message, and I'm going to just give you a forewarning of this. So, Two are the two things that the Apostle Paul tells Titus that he wants all the Christians on the island of Crete to remember each day of their lives. So today, you're going to go home with two things to remember, but you're also going to go home with three things that you can look forward to each day in your life because of Jesus, your Savior. So two things to remember, three things to look forward to. Before we dive into those two, that two plus three, I just want to ask you, how many of you feel like you know who Titus is? If you, if you, because we're taking this from New Testament book of Titus, Titus chapter three, do you feel like you have a pretty good handle on Titus and who he is and what he did? If you do, raise your hand. Okay, that's about five, 10% of you. I'm going to give you a C minus on that one. But trust me, by the end of today's message, your, your grade's going to go up because I am going to help you understand this guy, Titus, is really an interesting character in the Bible, um, uh, was an associate of the Apostle Paul, but more on that later. I think I better uh, switch up the, the test questions here. How many of you feel like you know who Iron Man is? Oh, okay, we're doing much better now. Thank you. That's, a, that's at least a B+. Plus. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about why we're calling this message the Iron Man message. And, and the story of Iron Man, or, or Tony Stark as he's known in his alter ego, is, is truly a story of redemption. This is a, a young boy who, who grows up with a good deal of brilliance and, and genius. But at a very young age, he loses his parents. And they're, they're uh, killed in a tragic car accident. And, and young Tony has to learn to grow up very rapidly on his own. And eventually, he ends up inheriting his father's business that his father has built up as an entrepreneur from scratch. And it's called Stark Industry. It's a weapons manufacturing company. So as Tony comes of age, he takes over the ownership and the management of this company. But Tony is also a playboy, 
and he has a lot of flaws and a lot of faults, having to, to grow up after his parents' death, raising himself with a lot of money. We all know what that looks like, and we all know how that plays out often if you've got too much money and too much time on your hands. And it appears that greed and loss and all these kinds of things sort of take over young Tony's life. One day, Tony is at a show where he's putting some of the, he's displaying some of the, the new weaponry that Stark Industries has manufactured. If you've seen the original Iron Man movie, you've seen a version of this, of this story. And, and what happens is terrorists break in and kidnap Tony Stark. But in the process, Tony is severely injured by a, a booby trap landmine that goes off and sends shrapnel, metal shrapnel, into his chest, buried near his heart, and he, he is deathly injured. But the kidnappers take him, and he's placed in a cell with another brilliant physicist, a brilliant man that actually uh, Tony has always admired from afar, had hoped one day to meet and, and maybe convince him to be his mentor. So they're imprisoned together by these terrorists, and the terrorists can tell Tony Stark does not have long to live. And so they tell him that he is to spend the rest of his life developing weaponry for their terrorist endeavors. So Tony and his cellmate begin to craft what they tell their captors are these next-gen weapons that the terrorists can use to, to strengthen their grip, their terrorist grip on the world. But instead, what, what's being developed, mainly by this brilliant physicist who, who is in the cell with Tony, because Tony's so severely injured, is the original Iron Man suit. And they're able, through various means, to sort of keep this hidden, what their true intentions are with this suit, and so on and so forth. And it's, it's really, in some ways, a very Christ-like story when you look at what Tony Stark's roommate does for him, this brilliant physicist that's, that's imprisoned with him. Because not only does this brilliant physicist end up developing the suit of armor that essentially brings back Tony to life. And that little, that blue electromagnet that draws the shrapnel away from Tony's heart, all these things that's called the arc reactor, if you're up on this stuff, all these things are done uh, by, by this cellmate and then... Just as they have the suit completed, it simply needs to be charged up. Of course, you know what's coming. The captors figure out what their true intentions are. So the suit is done, and yet it still hasn't been charged. It can't do what it needs to do to deliver them from the hands of, of these terrorists. So Tony's cellmate does another very Christ-like thing. Not only has he already manufactured this suit of armor for Tony, but now he risks his life and in the end sacrifices his life to, to buy time for that suit to get charged up and then Tony can get in it and defeat the terrorists and ultimately he escapes and becomes Iron Man with this suit of armor on.
I, I don't know how many of you have seen the first movie or how many of you are familiar with this story, but it's very interesting to, to watch uh, some of these superhero stories because clearly some of the themes that you find in, in, in fantasy land and what is not true, just a product of people's imagination, do at times present us with a beautiful illustration of what we find in reality, in history, in the Bible, with Jesus Christ. And the fact that this physicist's cellmate, for example, is willing to sacrifice his life reminds us so much of the fact that Christ came and sacrificed his life for us, that he has made for us a suit of armor, which the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. And he describes a particular piece of that suit of armor as a breastplate of righteousness that Christ, Paul teaches has taken all of his goodness, all of his righteous acts, because he knows that you and I, that's something we lack. We can't produce on our own by no means. Our, our heart has the shrapnel of, of sin, not just close to it, but buried deep into it and is our death. Sin is our death. But God, through Jesus Christ, is able to deliver us by his own death and save us and give us a new heart and a new mind. And so there are so many beautiful illustrations and we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that, these this morning because the person who writes this letter to Titus is the Apostle Paul and he himself has gone through his own redemption story, much like Tony Stark, but much more dynamic and much more real, much more important to you and me because for the Apostle Paul, he had grown up a Pharisee, learning that the only way back to God is to manufacture your own suit of armor, your own breastplate of righteousness. To do that out of the good works and the good deeds and the personal goodness that you yourself have, and to put that together and wear that. Paul had been taught that when we sin, and, and, and this part is true, the Bible is very clear about this, that when we sin, that makes God angry. And he gets angry with us as sinners. But if we could just balance that out, Paul was taught as a Pharisee. We could, we could escape God's anger. You know, there's only one difference between the word anger and the word danger, and that's the letter D. And it's good to remember because Paul had taught, been taught, and, and the Bible actually teaches that when God gets angry with us, we find ourselves in severe danger until Christ comes and rescues us from that danger and God's anger and delivers us. So Paul went through all of this and was transformed from a, a Pharisee trying to create his own righteousness into a, a Christ follower, understanding that it's God's mercy and grace that, that truly transforms and forgives and, and grants eternal life. Jesus has to literally face him down on the road to Damascus to persuade Paul. But in that moment, Paul sees clearly that he has a savior that loves him. As Paul goes on, and we're fast forwarding through a lot of things here, he does another thing somewhat similar to Tony Stark. If you're familiar with Iron Man, you know that there's a whole group of superheroes 
known as the Avengers, and that, and that Tony Stark, Iron Man, is a team player, and that ultimately there's a whole group of people that come together around Iron Man to, to help save the world when it's in danger. Paul was a team player too, and that's where Titus comes in. Because as, as Paul was transformed, he couldn't help himself. It was just, it, it just flowed from him. He had to tell others. He felt compelled to tell others about Jesus Christ and, and this beautiful gospel of God's grace and God's forgiveness and, and eternal life as a pure gift from God. Paul starts to tell other people and they begin to gather around him like a group of first century first century Avengers gathered around their Iron Man, the Apostle Paul. And Paul begins to do what he knows is going to make them truly the best teammates. Let me ask you, do you, do you know one of the most important things that we all need to do if we want to be truly expert, if we want to become truly a master at, at anything in life? What's, what's one of the best things that you could do for yourself? If, if you were to say today, I, I just want to take this skill or, or, or this belief or whatever it might be, I, I want to take it to the nth degree. I want to become the best I can be at it. What all the best people in the world do is they get a coach. And Paul knew that if he were to gather a very strong team of people around him to help him rescue the world from sin, rescue the world from a life of trying to manufacture our own righteousness as Paul had grown up doing, that he was going to need a strong team. And so what we're about to read here today is about one of the one of the men that Paul gathers around him makes part of the team, and now Paul is coaching, and it's very clear that Paul is coaching Titus. The reason he's coaching Titus, remember I promised I was going to give you some, some facts so we could raise your grade on knowledge about Titus. Titus is, has, uh, is he's a Gentile who's become part of Paul's team, probably going way back to, to the early days following Paul's conversion, and now Paul trusts Titus. He trusts Titus so much that he gives him some pretty dicey assignments, difficult assignments. He sends him to Corinth, for example, uh, to, to help give them the message and to check up on them. If you remember much about Corinth, that place was a mess. So to be asked to go into Corinth was, was really a compliment to Titus. And there are several other things that Paul asks Titus to do. One of them is to be uh, the pastor, the central pastor on the island of Crete. And this is where we find Titus as Paul is writing him this letter. He is pastoring this group of people. Now, if you go back to Acts chapter 2, you'll read that there were people from Crete on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem who witnessed the day of Pentecost, who heard Peter's preaching shortly after Jesus ascended into heaven. This is many years later now, decades later. And those Christians had returned. Paul had visited this island of Crete to teach there. And I don't want you to, to picture a big church. This is probably smatterings of Christians throughout this island, which is situated in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, just below the nation of Greece. And they're meeting in house churches, 
But Paul wants them to be strengthened, so he sends Titus to be their pastor because Paul has many places to oversee, and he deputizes Titus. And he says, go there and pastor them, and I will coach you. So with that rather lengthy introduction, let's dive into Titus chapter 3. And here's some of Paul's coaching. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Now I want you to join me in reading. Let's read the rest of it together out loud. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Now we're gonna, I wanted you to hear the whole part to give you some context, but I wanna break it down now. Let's go right back to the top of the page. And I want you to look at the very first word. What's the very first word? Help me. Remind. Why does Paul start his coaching of Titus with the word remind in this section? It's pretty intuitive there were things that the people were forgetting. Why were they forgetting? Why did they need these reminders? Now, if you know much about the story, I'm gonna come back now, I wanna switch back to the story of of Tony Stark. I, I mentioned that he gathered people around him. Now there are movies about the Avengers and there's an interesting scene in, in one of the Avengers movies where Captain America comes up to Tony Stark in his Iron Man suit and he says, you think you're such a big man. You think you can do it all, but it's all that suit. Just take that suit off. Who would you be then? And Tony Stark answers, genius, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist. That's who I'd be. But the true answer What's the true answer? What would Tony Stark be without that suit and that arc reactor? He would be dead. Tony has to be constantly reminded of this because Tony's pride and Tony's greed and Tony's loss and all the things that are in Tony, even after the Iron Man suit changes him, even after he puts that armor on, he's constantly tempted to backslide into his previous way of thinking and then into his previous way of life. You see that all through the movies. And so are we. 
Even though we've been given this beautiful suit of armor that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, this breastplate that Christ has made for us out of his own righteousness so we don't have to strive and work and and try to earn heaven and earn God's forgiveness and, and earn back reconciliation to God. That's all been done for us by Jesus Christ. And it's been gifted to us and you would think, man, I would, I'm never going to forget the kind of life this loving God wants me to live. I'm always going to step up to the plate. I'm always going to do what is right. We forget. And we need to be reminded. And part of that forgetfulness might be our mind, but far more of it is our spirit and our will, our heart that our heart forgets all that Jesus has done for us. And, and in that moment of forgetfulness, in that moment of needed to be, needing to be reminded once again of God's faithful love to us, we slide into doing what we want to do. And, and that's why Paul starts with this one word. These people on Crete, Titus, let me coach you out, buddy. One of the biggest things they're going to need are constant reminders. Some of them have known about Jesus since the day of Pentecost for decades, but they still need to be reminded. Reminded of what? Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. Really, they need to be reminded of those things? Yes, because of the sin still living in them. They've been made righteous in Christ, but just like you and me who have also been made righteous in Christ, we still have a sinful nature living in us that draws us backward and that creates the reminder that we do things like this. Now, maybe it's hard for you to see that in yourself, so let's start with someone else. Take a look at that passage. Have you ever said to one of your children, hey, you need to listen to what your mommy and daddy tell you to do? Have you ever said to a child, I need you to listen to me right now and get up from that TV and go wash the dishes. Be obedient to your children. Stop it! Calm down, stop fighting. You need to knock it off. Think about your brother, think about your sister, consider them. Have you ever said to your children, all right, the rough housing has got to end. We can't break any more things in this house. Be gentle toward everyone. And how do you summarize that? I know how I summarize it as a parent. Sometimes I didn't say all of that. I just look at my child, got down, and I said, be good. Be good. Do you see what Paul says right in the middle? Remind them to be ready to do whatever is good. Would you underline those words? Remind the people that you're pastoring, Titus, to be ready to do whatever is good. I want you to to write this down. Jesus, iron men, remember to do whatever is good. Now, that's not natural. And when I say we remember to do whatever is good, it's because we're going to the scriptures. We're going to the spirit. 
And we're being reminded, we're reminded by our pastors as the people of Crete were to do whatever is good. We're reminded by our brothers and sisters to do whatever is good. We need the reminders too. But as modern day ironmen for the sake of the gospel, God wants us to remember to do what is good. He says it in in many other places, even in the same letter. Titus chapter 2, he said it once before. We're in Titus 3, but look, I put Titus 2, 11 to 14 there. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, meaning God's grace, you can write an arrow from it to the grace of God. It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes, he's not going to be the gentle baby. He's going to be the king, the judge sitting on his throne. That's what we're waiting for. And as we wait... Paul writes to Titus, this is how we are to teach our people to live. Be good. The glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, and this is the beauty, here's the grace, gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, meaning to pull us out, to refashion and reshape, to buy us out of the slavery of wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. And now I want you to underline these last six words. Eager to do what is good. That's what, that's what Paul tells Titus to teach the people on Crete. Help them by reconnecting with God's grace to be eager to do what is good. Help them by reconnecting with God's love and forgiveness and mercy to want to do the things that Jesus wants them to do. That's what motivates. And this is so clear in here. I think as parents sometimes or, or even friends or coworkers, our belief is that what motivates is to harsh out on someone, to make it really clear what the difference between right and wrong is, to lay down the law, to add another rule, to make sure that everyone knows if you don't get this, the punishment is going to be real and it's going to be hard and you're not going to like it. Sometimes we feel that's the way to motivate people to do good. But Paul says it's not that at all that really motivates us to do the good that Christ wants us to do. Notice at the head of that passage, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people It, God's undeserved love, not more rules. Jesus' forgiveness, not more punishment. God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. God's grace in Christ is the kind of grace that that says, oh, you did that again? You're forgiven again. 70 times seven or forever if we need that. God will forgive us again and again, not not to create some sort of license for us to sin as much as we want to, but to assure us that no matter how often we fail at this, fail miserably at this, God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's love waits and will cleanse us again. 
Jesus Ironman remember to do whatever is good because they are coached not just by the coach, but by the coach who coached the coach. See, what Paul is saying here is, I need to coach too. Just as I'm coaching you, Titus, I'm coached. And who coaches the coach? Jesus in his grace. It's God's grace that teaches me, Paul, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And God's grace teaches you to say no to all those things too. Now, go back up to the the top of the page where we have that big, long section of Titus. And let's look at verse 3. And I want you to notice something. I I told you that I was going to teach you two things to remember. The first one is remember to do good, empowered by the grace of God. The the second one is in verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. What's Paul doing here? He's he's telling you, I never fail to remember what life looked like for me before Christ. And when I look back upon my life, I see a life that was filled with foolishness, disobedience, deception. I was enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. You might find that surprising if Paul was a Pharisee, but you won't if you think it through. What's the best way to get somebody to really, really want to do something wrong? Tell them, don't do that wrong thing. And Pharisees constantly heard that. And so they were constantly dealing with passions, their own desires. We lived in malice and envy. Paul murdered Christians, being hated and hating one another. Paul says, I need to always be reminded of where I came from before Christ, to remember what that life looked like. And Paul says to you and me through Titus, Paul was saying to the people of Crete, hey guys, don't forget how ugly, how worthless, how useless, how damaging and dangerous that life was that you once had before you knew Jesus and his love and his constant faithfulness toward you. Write this down. Jesus, iron men also need to remember where they came from. There's a good part to remembering our history, to thinking through the baggage that we once carried but no longer carry, because that reminds us how much lighter and freer life is now under Christ than it was when we were carrying all that guilt and shame for the things that we were doing. And even though we might not have known Christ, we still... We still had vestiges of a conscience. We knew those things were wrong and we constantly felt the pressure of doing those wrong things and worried about when the other shoe was going to drop. That's gone. But remember what it looked like so you can remember how light you feel right now. Remember where you come from. Look at what Paul says. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Really what Paul is saying is, All y'all, every one of you, you're all recovering self-aholics. 
And, and you'll find vestiges of that even in your life as a Christian that you are a recovering self-aholic because you're always tempted to, to backslide into making yourself the center of the universe. To saying, hey, it's all about me. And if I don't take care of myself and you need to listen to me and by the way, my interests come ahead of your interests. There's, and we might not say it that blatantly, But when other people make us feel like we're not the center of their universe, we're so tempted to assert ourselves back in there because we're all recovering self-aholics. And that's the root of sin. Our selfishness and our self-centeredness and our thinking that we're the center of the universe. Turn your page over. The next thing Paul teaches in in Titus 3, verses 4 and 5, I'm going to give you, and then we'll turn back to the front of the page. And and these are the things that now we're we're moving from the two things you need to remember to the three things that God wants you to have with you every day. Number one is this. Jesus' Iron Men are salvaged. In the Iron Men movie... Tony Stark gets wrecked so many times. Those Iron Man suits get wrecked so many times. But he's always salvaged. He's always brought back, polished up, shined up, and put back out there. Well, we too are salvaged. How? By Jesus' kindness, love, and mercy. So now let's let's look at Titus chapter 3. And we'll look at verses uh, 4 and 5a. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Now, man, Paul must have had to swallow hard as a former Pharisee to say these things. Or or maybe he's just overjoyed that this is the truth as a former Pharisee. But look what he says next. He saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Do you see how beautiful that is? how awesome and wonderful that is? That Jesus, your Savior, says, stop striving and simply rest in me. My grace and my mercy are going to follow you every day of your life. My grace and my mercy are going to to be new to you every morning. My grace and my mercy are never going to run out. There's nothing you can do that's going to make me love you more. There's nothing that you're going to do ever, ever that's going to make you, make me love you less. Because I simply love you. That's who I am. That's my very identity. God is love. And that's never going to end for you. Now you're looking in your own dark heart and you're saying, really me, even me? With the struggles I have, with the baggage I carry, with the shame for the things that, that I've done in my life, me with the, with the worries that constantly occupy my heart, with the anxiety attacks that, that constantly come at me, me, the person who's so filled with pride and arrogance, maybe some of the same sins as as Tony Stark, greed and lust. Yes, you. You. You, Jesus says, 
my grace and my mercy are for you every day. They come new. Jesus' ironmen are salvaged by Jesus' kindness. Take a look at what Paul wrote to another one of his protégés, his teammates, uh, a man by the name of Timothy. He writes several letters to Timothy as he writes this letter to Titus. And he says, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, meaning he's, he's given you his breastplate of righteousness. Put it on, wear it. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace, undeserved love. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Will you circle those two words, Christ Jesus? He's your Savior. And he came to save and salvage you. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. That's what Easter is all about. That's why we have this series as a follow-up to Easter, is because now that Christ has risen from the grave, we see his power. It's, it's very evident to us. And that power is now available for us, knowing that we have been forgiven and salvaged by God's grace. Now Jesus says, I bring you life. As I've risen from the dead physically, I am going to rise, raise you from the dead spiritually and one day physically too and eternally. Titus 3, 5b to 7 goes on to say this. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This is, this is baptism he's talking about. The Holy Spirit works to give us a rebirth and a renewal through the waters of baptism, through the word of God, through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is the second thing that you carry with you every day. And that is that God wants you to have not only his salvation, but also his Holy Spirit to empower you to believe, to trust these truths that God conveys to us in the Bible, in baptism, in the Lord's Supper. And that's how you connect with the Holy Spirit. If you want just a, a real practical thought for today, how do I connect with this Holy Spirit that gives me life. The Holy Spirit's like that, that arc reactor on, on Tony's chest. It's the thing. He's the thing. It's the difference. It's not a, a thing. He's a person. And, and he pulls the shrapnel of sin and gives us life and faith. And the Holy Spirit does that practically when we read the Bible when we recall our baptism or when we get baptized, when we return to the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit comes and gives us power to live aright. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he gives us a beautiful picture of what the power of the Holy Spirit looks like in a person's life. I put this passage in your notes. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, 
It wasn't just blah, blah, blah to the Thessalonians. These words of the gospel came also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. Do you have that? Do you have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life? Do you have that power and sense of deep conviction? The Holy Spirit gives it to you. You have it because the Holy Spirit gives it to you. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. It's not just words. It becomes actions. You start to look like your coach, your teacher, in this case, Paul, and then ultimately Christ. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Is your life now as you reflect on on that past, and then you bring yourself into the present, does it look different? Do you look just a little bit more like Jesus? Does your heart and, and does your mind think a little bit more like the thoughts that Paul expresses in the letters that he writes, the word of God? Is that happening to you in your life? It was happening in the Thessalonians. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Even suffering couldn't stop them. Bring it on, was their thought. The Holy Spirit is empowering us, and he will use this to help us. Write this down above that passage. Jesus' ironmen have a powerful life generator planted in their chest through the use of baptism, the Bible, the Lord's Supper, you have a powerful life generator planted on your heart named the Holy Spirit. And then Paul finishes this way. He says, verse eight, this is a trustworthy saying and I want you to stress these things. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. What Paul's saying there so beautifully is all of us have not simply been saved from something. All of us have been saved not simply from our sins, from the punishment of our sins, from the death that certainly awaits those who don't trust in Jesus. We've been saved from those things for sure, but not just from them. Because we've also been saved for something. Paul says, Jesus came and he saved you from all these things so that you could be his agent in the world. Stress that I want those Christians on Crete to live a life of doing good on that island. Want a fun fact? You know how large the island of Crete is? 3,000 square miles. And Paul was not afraid to cast big vision. And he says to Titus, I've left you there to pastor these people. There's 3,000 square miles of people I want you to share the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and I want you to encourage them strongly to do what's good because if we do that, more people's lives are gonna be transformed by that gospel and by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Go out and do good, and let's transform that entire 3,000 square miles of that island sitting below Greece in the middle of the Mediterranean. Let's, let's get every heart on board with Jesus, knowing him as their savior. Fun fact number one. Fun fact number two. Do you know how large in square miles the metro Phoenix area is? 2,000 square miles. Actually less than the island of Crete. And do you think God's vision for this metro area is any smaller than God's vision was for Crete? If Paul were here, do you think he would dumb down his vision for the city of Phoenix because it's us here today, one tiny little church called Crosswalk, and say, you know what, don't, don't worry about all those, what is it, four or five million people there? Let's just, let's just keep the vision small. Maybe we can impact one or two people right here in Levine, maybe a couple over there in South Phoenix. I don't believe it for a moment that Paul would do that or that God wants us to do that. Whether it's the 3,000 square miles of Crete or the 2,000 square miles of Phoenix, Arizona, our entire metro area, I believe God is still saying the same to you and me today. And if you want additional evidence of that, Take a look at what Paul also told the Corinthians. It's our last passage. And in this passage, he makes it clear. We ironmen of today are God's agents in the world to share the gospel and to represent Christ to the world. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new's here. You're a new person. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God has saved you from the horrible division that existed between us because of sin. You've been saved from that. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. He did it through his son, Jesus, not counting men's sins against them. God has saved you from your sins but he has also saved you for this. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Here's what you can write in the in the blank above that passage. Jesus' iron men are his agents of good in the world and especially his agents of the gospel in the world. I promised you two plus three. Here they are. Two things to remember. Paul says, remember to do good. Secondly, he says, remember where you came from. Those are the two things I want you to go home and remember this week. Remember to do good and remember where you came from. I promised you three things to take with you. And here they are. Look forward to Jesus' kindness, love, and mercy every day. They're there for you always. And they will never end. Number two, look forward to always, every day, also possessing your own, your own little arc reactor, which is a person named the Holy Spirit, not a thing who will give you his life-giving power every day. Every day he gives you his life-giving power. And then thirdly, remember that you have been saved for something huge to be God's agents in this world, to do good 
and transform hearts and transform lives through the power of the gospel when people come to know Jesus. That's God's plan for us. And honestly, church, God has no other plan than to send us out as his agents in this world to share the gospel. Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you sent us Jesus. And he has saved us from so many ugly things that, that we have manufactured ourselves. Lord, we, we so often create our own demons because of the power of sin at work in our own hearts. We thank you for Jesus and his forgiveness, his grace. We thank you for that breastplate of righteousness that Christ manufactured out of his own righteousness. We can stop the striving and simply accept his righteousness as our own and wear that breastplate every day. What what peace and comfort that gives us. But Lord, your gospel also challenges us as well as comforts us. And may we be challenged by today's message to go out and do good in our world and to make a difference with the transforming power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit to change hearts, minds, and lives in this entire metro area. Lord, give us the same vision for this city that the Apostle Paul was sharing with Titus as God's vision for the island of Crete. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Final test of the day, Crosswalk tagline. Do you remember it? It's under the logo. Real people, real faith. And I don't think we could get a better example of real people and real faith, in a sense, than Tony Stark, an Iron Man. He's very real people. And he begins to have a changed life in real faith as he puts on that armor and grows in his faith in it. But even more important than that, I don't think we could have a better example of real people and real faith than the Apostle Paul who put on the breastplate of Christ's righteousness and learned over time to develop faith in his armor through the power of the Holy Spirit and then to go out and make a difference in this world and change lives by sharing the truths of that breastplate of righteousness with others, by using his armor to benefit others. And that's really our message for today. We're we're real people, but we have a breastplate of righteousness that we can truly put real faith in and know that that not only saves us from our sins and destruction, it saves us for a life of being God's agents of good in the world. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.